that whole like November, December, January, I think I went through a depression because I'm like, damn, I'm not smart enough to get a job because everyone keeps rejecting me. I was already getting a couple of rejection letters from some of the schools and I got rejected from my own school, the school that I've been attending for four years. <laughs> I was just like so upset and I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, am I gonna have to take my ass to the corners? Will I have to be like a street scientist? I don't know. What does the future hold for me? Adulting can be hard, even scary. Adulting Horror Stories shares intimate tales of adulting fails and insights into how to avoid them. All right, welcome back to Adulting Horror Stories. I am your host, Dion, and today I'm here with my guest, Summer, and we are going to talk about continuing education. How are you, Summer? Alive, Black, blessed, and well. (laughs) So for people who might be a little bit newer to the podcast, the general format that I follow is I don't like my guest to be sharing things out in the open unless I've shared something too. So I start with my horror story. They share their horror story or stories. We talk about why they happened, what were the situations and mental hangups that might have led to that situation. And then we talk about what we learned and how other people can avoid having similar struggles while adulting. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So when we talk about continuing education, I actually originally didn't think I had a horror story for this because I have but one degree. I didn't necessarily continue my education, but then I realized actually I tried. And that's the story that I'm going to tell today. In my job, I work with some really smart people, honestly, some highly educated people, and they're all very awesome. And for me as a new hire, a lot of the time I just felt like Going from project to project, I was always learning things. It's never like you just come in and you add value immediately. Instead, if you come in, you spend like months just figuring out which way is up. And then finally, you can start helping. And it always made me feel, you could call it imposter syndrome, or you could just call it like feeling like I wasn't contributing enough. And I thought it might be because my degree didn't 100% match the job I applied to, although it was very close. And I thought maybe if I get a master's and a more specified degree, it will help me be an expert in something where like, I can join onto a project and not feel like I spend so much time just figuring out what I'm doing. I ended up trying to do it through my job, meaning have my job sponsor it, because if you don't have to pay for a degree, then you shouldn't. And I went through this process of first figuring out what degree was the best one to get. I interviewed a bunch of people. I did a decision analysis based on, well, how much does it cost? Can I do online versus in-person training? And can I can I do online or in-person training? How well does it tie both to my current job and potentially future jobs? And after all of that, I settled on a degree. 
I got funding approval from my supervisor and his supervisor, and I was going slowly through the application process. I was talking to a bunch of different professors from the school. They were all really helpful and all really supportive. And I was scared because I knew it's a lot of time management skills that are needed to complete a degree while working full time. I wasn't going to take off of work to do it. And I was just afraid, like I would, le- I would legitimately have nightmares where I woke up and I was like two hours late to class and didn't complete an assignment or anything. And I'm like, I haven't even started the degree yet. But I told myself, you have to push yourself and you will rise to the occasion once you're under the pressure. Ultimately, what happened was COVID hit. And when COVID hit and things started shutting down, at first it was like kind of, let's see where things go. But somewhere down the line, I spoke with my supervisor like, so let's be real, what's happening here? And he basically said, the best thing right now is to wait until next year. I waited until the next year, but by that time I decided I wanted a different job. Same company, different job. And so I transferred. And once I transferred, I said, I'm not going to do a degree while moving into a higher position. I'm going to let myself stabilize and revisit in maybe a year's time. And that's basically where I am. I call it a horror story because I put all of that work in and ultimately it didn't go anywhere in terms of getting a degree, but I'm actually pretty happy how things turned out. You see, it's a blessing in disguise. I feel like everything will eventually fall into place. So maybe that wasn't the right time then, but it will happen, you know, manifest it. Yeah, I agree. And... I'm hoping that when it does happen, it actually feels right rather than me having imaginary nightmares. (laughs) So that's my boring old story. Now we need to get to the piece de resistance. What is your horror story? Oh, my gosh. So I feel like I have two really like main ones, but they all kind of connect. So just like a little backstory, I guess, like in high school. Right. I had like a really big like just tenacity for doing just like really hard things that I wasn't expected of me. So for like when I took like AP physics, because I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard that shit's like super hard. So I'm going to do it. Right. It kicked my ass. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I failed. Not failed. Let me not say that. But, you know, I barely passed the class. Let's say that. (laughs) And then I had this professor who taught the, you know, the AP class. I was like, hey, guess what, professor? I'm going to school to do engineering because I just, you know, feel like I can do it. And he questioned me, like, are you sure? And I looked at him like, motherfucker, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) What the hell you mean? And so I think that was kind of like, it fueled my fire, I guess, to really pursue, you know, the degree in college. And so when I, when I got accepted into school, I chose to do chemical engineering because I absolutely loved chemistry, um, math and science and things like that. And also side note, if anyone's interested in chemical engineering, there is very little chemistry. So definitely think of that. that over. <laughs> let's, let's pause there because there's two sides to that coin. If anyone's interested in chemical engineering and you're not good at chemistry, there's very little chemistry. But also, if part of the reason you did chemical engineering is because you love chemistry, but you know that chemical engineers are in higher demand, there's not that much chemistry. And what there is may not always be as much fun as you thought chemistry was. Ooh, let us know. It's a setup, okay? (laughs) 
I also say chemical engineering and low key. This is bringing up this is bringing up bad memories. You might <laughs> think you love chemistry based on what you learned in high school. I definitely did. I took AP chemistry too, but yeah. <laughs> before you say, "Oh, I'm 100% down for chemistry," just look up some videos, read some course descriptions about organic chemistry and specifically like organic chemistry too, and make sure you're ready for that. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did not do that. Okay. And as soon as I got hit with thermodynamics, you know, mass and energy balances, I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but like at that point, you know, I come from a black household and my mother was very adamant on like, you better stick to the degree because I'm not paying all this money for you to fail <laughs> or switch, you know, to like communications. No shade, of course. But <laughs> it was just a lot of pressure. So I'm like, damn, I got to stick this out. <laughs> but, you know, back to it. I did chemistry. I actually went to Syracuse University. And also, let me say, I went with the intent to marry a ball player, okay? Because, you know, it's a big basketball school. D1, <laughs> I thought this was my chance to be like a basketball wife. And, you know, looking at the program, like looking back, their engineering program wasn't like, you know, top five or anything. I was looking, I think it was like 89 at the time when I was applying. <laughs> so super low, but, you know, that didn't, ma- it didn't matter. None of it mattered. 89 isn't that in the in like the grand scheme of schools i feel like 89 is not that bad yeah i guess but you know i'm an overachiever too so i'm like if it ain't top five we don't want it (laughs) but i get what you're saying i mean it was good not like you know like an mit or anything but you know it got the job done and i got the degree so that's all that matters (laughs) there we go right but um i think just the whole time you know pursuing that degree i changed my major once so I'm, I originally was bioengineering and then I was like, you know, screw this. This is like a new major. No one really knows about it. And that's when I switched to chemical engineering. And it was just such a challenge for me because I had to deal with like all these professors, you know, saying you should really reconsider their major. And then I just kind of played on into like what I went through in middle school with like my AP teacher kind of questioning if this was the right choice for me. And I started, you know, what's the word? Doubt myself, too. And I think that imposter syndrome also started to play a big role. So I was wondering, like, is this the right major for me? Um, The entire time, I was, like, rocking in the high twos of a GPA. So, like, 2.8 every semester, maybe a 2.6 here and there, you know? (laughs) Just enough to get by, okay? And so I think all of that kind of built up on my insecurities. I'm like, I'm not really good at this subject. I'm not enjoying it as much as I thought I would because there's little to no chemistry, and it's nothing like I thought, um, or at least what I experienced in high school. So. I failed a couple classes, had to retake them. And I think the horror story came in when it's like it was graduation time. And so, you know, Syracuse was cute. They had like what we call black graduation. And so it was a graduation specifically for the students of color there or first generation students. And so some sitting there in the auditorium, you know, as they're calling up names, me and my best friend were like, damn, I don't even know if I passed that test, you know. And the way they set you up, side note, the way they set up these classes like they only offer it once a semester. So say you don't you don't find out if you actually passed until a few weeks later. And if you failed it, you got to wait a whole nother year. And it's like, and do you uh-huh, know why they do that? Money, of course. Well, like, what I've heard is, and well, I'm, pro- I'm sure money's part of it. Let me say that. But it's their part of their, their rate, their, the way they assess themselves 
is by how many people they graduate. When you offer a class every term, there are people who are like, you know what, I'm not enjoying this class. I'm not really ready for it. I'll just take a next term. And then they try to take a next term. Like, actually, I'll just take a next term. But when it pushes you off by an entire year, in the eyes of some of the upper management in a university, it makes people reconsider and say, I don't want to be held back by a year, especially if this is a prerequisite course, which means it really holds everything back by a year. I'm going to try to at least pass this course. So that's what I was told, probably because they can't just be telling the students, yeah, we do it to make more money. (laughs) No, that makes sense. Like as a way to fuel you to actually try, (laughs) try and pass the class. (laughs) But yeah, let me tell you, I was like sitting there in graduation, not sure. Like I'm sitting here like as a fraud or an imposter, like, am I really about to graduate? (laughs) And so, you know, two weeks later, I got the test results back. I got a D in the class. <laughs> but let me tell you, this D showing up still got her degree because there was no prereq after that since it was like the final class. And so it was heat and mass transfers. And so I was just like, you know what? I got the grade. Technically, I still did pass. And so I got my degree and I was out. So I think just that whole collegiate experience, right? Dealing with microaggressions, the imposter syndrome, and then you know, in high school, I thought I was like a smart kid. And so I came into college with that same mindset, like, oh, I'm smart. I'm going to be able to do this. Well, shit, everyone else and their mama there is smart too. So <laughs> you got competition. And so mm-hmm. just knowing, that, you know, everyone else is just as smart as you are. So it makes it just a little bit um, more challenging. And so after graduation, right, they want you to either apply for a job or to graduate school. And I knew for me, like, after I struggled the past four years, ain't no way in hell I'm going back to school, okay? And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love learning, but I just hate school. I hate the tests, I hate the pressure, I hate the writing, all of that. So as I'm applying to jobs, you know, I'm getting rejected every single day, you know, at least three rejections in my inbox every day. And so I'm just like, damn, what if I don't actually find something? Let me apply to school just as a backup. Hmm. And then um, just as a backup, okay? <laughs> Um, and so after doing that, I was like, I paid so much for college. I made it my goal to not have to pay for a master's degree if I, you know, didn't find a job. Cause I just, at this point, I think after my sophomore year, that's when I started torrenting books, started getting like a bunch of scholarships. I became an RA. I was like, ain't no way in hell I'm giving these people any more of my money. So I refused to pay for higher education and you should too. Okay. It's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a break and just say, give some commentary and once again, let you know that you are not alone. First of all, I too was a formerly gifted child who thought, oh, everything's going to be fine. I'm smart. I'm hardworking. I come home and immediately do my homework. I'm, I'm going to do great yep. in college. And I want to say year one, maybe. Year one and a half, okay. Year two beyond, the struggle began. (laughs) And the painful part is, I feel like college pits you against each other because they're playing a numbers game, meaning they're saying, we can't graduate all of these people. We need to fill out a bell curve. And someone has to be kicked to the edges of that bell curve. So they tell you that you're competing against these other students. But in reality, especially for engineering, if you end up working in an engineering job, You're supposed to be working with these other students. And so in the beginning of engineering, it was very cutthroat and people were like not cool to each other. But it's like, 
that's what your professor said you're supposed to do. But by the end, you're all just like, shit, we need to survive. We yes. just help a brother pass, help a brother pass, help your yes. sisters too. And in a way, that's what ends up being your engineering job. You do compete with other people for jobs. But once you have that job, what I do now, I support operations. And it's like, whatever the hell you're doing, make sure that it's getting product out the door and making sure your operators are safe making sure that your machines are running consistently. Mm -hmm. Whoever you have to help, no role is beneath you. You do what you got to do. And I wish that colleges made it a little bit less cutthroat. Like, sure, you have group project, but if in the group project, one person can do nothing and still pass, (laughs) it's not really making you feel like you want to work with the people around you, is Mm -hmm. all I'm saying. Um, the other thing is talking about D's get degrees. I have the same situation, but it was junior year and it was organic chemistry too. I got my first and only ever D in Orgo too, and it destroyed me. Right. Until I found out that it wasn't a prerequisite. Right. <laughs> and I was like, let's just move on from this. My GPA won't, but I will. <laughs> Tell you high twos, okay? High twos. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is so true. And I'm just thinking about like my freshman seminar class instructor. I'll never forget. He was like, I want you to look at everyone in this room. Half of you are going to switch majors or switch <laughs> or switch out to a different degree. And I'm like, well, damn, what kind of introduction is this? Yep. <laughs> they make it cutthroat unnecessarily. Like engineering is a team building sport. <laughs> okay. Let's foster that from the start, not towards the end where everyone's like, after you've broken everyone down. Okay. Where the highest score in the class is a 52. <laughs> But the average is a 12. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, it was that point where I learned about riding the curve. Like, I don't need to be the smartest. I just need to be average. (laughs) And the honest truth is, just thinking about practicality, right? I'm not going to completely trash engineering schools. They're, They're doing their best in a lot of ways. But when you do that to people... When they finally graduate, the people who keep that mentality do not succeed because they're either trying to constantly be perfect, even when they're completely out of their element and then they don't ask for help. So they have a project where it definitely needs some collaboration from more experienced people. And they're just not willing to ask because they think if I ask, I'm too stupid or like Mm -hmm. I don't belong here when trust me, you belong there. Or the other side is they are smart and they actually get through school with like maybe a 3.8, but then they're so goddamn stuck up that no one wants to work with them. I have a specific story about a person where it's like, I'm trying to work with you and I'm trying to let you know I recognize that you're very smart. I recognize that you're very capable. So please (laughs) stop reminding everyone because you're literally wasting time at this point. You're literally... We're trying to do something and you're taking extra time just to talk about how you knew all this shit beforehand and you don't need to. And then no one wants to work with them and they feel bad when they get excluded from things. But it's like, we tried. (laughs) We tried, you asshole. (laughs) But you were, I cut you off a very long time ago. Please continue. (laughs) Nope. Um, gosh, what was the thing? Okay, so I was getting rejected, right? 24-7, left and right. So I'm like, let me just apply to grad school as a backup, just in case I don't find a job. Um, And I refused to pay for school. And so I heard about this program. It's a fellowship called Gym Fellowship. 
And it's this consortium for graduate degrees for um, minorities and women um, who want to pursue, you know, graduate degrees in engineering, science, technology, STEM. Um, and through that, um, I you know, I was able to get a bunch of fee waivers because I was not applying, you know, paying seventy to one hundred dollars per application for all these universities I was um, applying to. And then I had one friend. She was kind of in a similar situation as me, but she did study mechanical engineering. But she was still smart. I don't care what she says. Um, she was just applying to like all these big name schools, Stanford, MIT, you know, Duke, Harvard, all of them um, to do a degree in um, engineering management. And then she got accepted into Stanford. And I was like, what? Full ride, fully paid for. Um, her housing was covered. Her books was covered. Oh tuition paid for in full. And Stanford just said, take a flight on over here. And I was just in a shock and amazement. I'm like, you're just like a black unicorn, super rare. <laughs> but she's just like, you know, she's very straightforward. She's like, shut up and just do it. <laughs> and so I went through the same process she did. I actually, too, was also interested in engineering management because I wanted to do more of the business side if I had to, like, go back to school, right, and do more work, even though I suck at school. I wanted to do more business, um, businessy work rather than, you know, the more functional engineering applications. So I wanted to do some type of management, but had to make it engineering in order to qualify for the program. And so, you know, sent out the fee waivers, made sure I got those, took the test. Ooh, that just another, mm, I got, I've got you on the test now. But um, to the universities I applied to, right, I applied to Stanford, I applied to Carnegie Mellon, MIT, Harvard, Notre Dame. Got rejected from all of them, <laughs> 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 except for Carnegie Mellon. And I was like, pause, what? <laughs> and so I consider Carnegie like a second tier Ivy League. So it's just like, you know, you have your Yale, your Princeton's, your um, Harvard's Ivy League schools. And then like mm -hmm. your second tier, I consider like Stanford's, MIT's, Duke, all that. And I lumped, you know, Carnegie up there. So I was just like, are you sure like this is correct? And I say that because I took the GRE the last minute. And let me tell you, my mindset was like, yo, I just graduated with a degree in engineering. This is just going to be a bunch of, you know, fancy words I need to brush up on. I already know how to do math. I know how to write, you know, technical writing. They made us take those courses in engineering. So I was going to be set. All I basically did was like study the thesaurus, you know, 48 hours before the exam. Bombed that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I waited to the last minute. I think Carnegie and all these other schools who I was applying to, they wanted the GRE score sent in by January 1st. And the last offering to take this GRE exam was like the second to last week in um, December. And so I scored like in the 11th percentile for reading. I think my math score was like in the 25th percentile. But I basically, I was not in the middle. I was not in the middle of the bell curve. I was to the left towards the end in all three categories. And I'm like, well, there we go. I'm not getting into no school. I ain't getting no job. And so that's when I got the acceptance from Carnegie. I was like, oh, this is a mistake. You know, this is nothing but a nerd school. Ain't no way in hell they took my, you know, scores and with my GPA on top of it. It was so funny. I waited two weeks before I even told anyone just in case they wanted to recall <laughs> the letter. <laughs> And let me tell you, I also forgot to mention horror story alert of all the schools that I applied to, right? I applied to like Carnegie, Stanford. I'm trying to remember who else, um, like Northeast and a few other schools. And I applied, of course, to Syracuse as my safety, um, all for like engineering management. Syracuse rejected my ass. <laughs> <laughs> let me backtrack and say I was like depressed, I think, November to so, like that, <laughs> the fall of graduation. 
this is when we have to like submit our GRE exams and like apply to grad school. That whole like November, December, January, I think I went through a depression because I'm like, damn, I'm not smart enough to get a job because everyone keeps rejecting me. I was already getting a couple of rejection letters from some of the schools and I got rejected from my own school, the school that I've been attending for four years. <laughs> I was just like so upset and I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, am I going to have to take my ass to the corners? Will I have to be like a street scientist? I don't know. What does the future hold for me? And so... Being, I think, rejected by Syracuse really, like, fucked me up. But then I got accepted by Carnegie. Like, it did not make sense. The universe did not make sense. Someone was, like, pulling a prank on me. I was just, like, really just confused and depressed at that time. And so that really just hit me for a whirlwind. But um, those are my horror stories. I say that all to say imposter syndrome is a bitch. But you will make it. Let your haters hate from, you know, across the room. And don't you ever pay for higher education. And so now I'm like in a spot after going through all of that trauma, right? I'm considering of going to law school. Um, I think with everything going on now, especially, I want to like be able to give back and help. And so I'm going kind of through the same thing again. I'm not going to, I refuse to pay for a law school, but I'm making sure to, you know, really utilize all my resources and fundings that are available. And, you know, to people like myself that can make a difference and who want to pursue law to help others. So you want to know something wild? What? My brother's going to law school. Hey, he's applying and he's gotten into some, Mm -hmm. but he's waiting on one specific school, but he's been like pouring all of his love and attention into, and they just need to pour a tiny bit back. (laughs) Just a tiny bit. Just more, more oatmeal, please. But wherever he goes, he'll do amazingly. What I was going to say is schools, your undergrad, or so I was told, does not want to take you as a grad student. So one of my professors who's heavily involved in research, he told me Mm -hmm. grad schools usually want you to branch out from your alma mater and usually ideally go on to somewhere better, which makes them less likely to accept you because they want to they want to say that. People who went to our school then went on to this better school. Like You might not like our school, but you can start here and branch off to all forms of excellence, too. The fact that you went to our school doesn't hold you back. You see, I want to know who you're talking to because they're trying to push this narrative that, oh, we're trying to push you. I think it's a money ploy, Dion. You know, they can get full tuition and full money from like these international students. And that's why we're seeing a lot more of them or population wise when it comes to graduate degrees. <laughs> and like you see like a handful of, you know, black and brown kids. That's fine. But like they're also getting scholarships and they don't want to like, you know, give too much of that scholarship money away because they're trying to make as much money as possible. That was what my understanding is. But like I said, I'm trying to be like a positive person. So I can see the perspective. They're trying to drive you and push you to excel and do greater things. But also, I I think it was really hard for me, especially because I saw like a couple of my friends got accepted and I didn't. (laughs) And Mm. so I'm like, well, (laughs) so could very well be true that, you know, they want to push you. But, you know, the flip side, you know, they accepted my friend and she paid full tuition. She did not get a scholarship. And I'm like, girl, you would have played yourself. okay? but yeah, I think they don't accept too many people of certain stand, you know, from certain backgrounds, um, especially if you're requesting aid. And mind you, I was applying through GEM, which is that um consortium. So they help provide funding. And I guess seeing that 
maybe they didn't want to accept me because I wasn't going to pay. <laughs> they had to cover my, you know, tuition. Who knows? And I will say most of, I try to give knowledge from the people at the institution, like people who work there. But yeah. that also means those are the people who drank the Kool-Aid. I hear that. All laughs aside, I do want to say, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Just the, I've definitely been through the imposter syndrome. I've definitely been through some of the just backhanded comments and it's a pain and I really hope you're in a better place now. Do you have a glow up period after this? Is there, is there, um, <laughs> is there light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> I hope I wasn't too negative. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's <laughs> always light. <laughs> no, th- listen, this is adulting horror stories. Okay. There's going to be some negativity. I just mean, I like to imagine that the horror story is a part of your life. And then you learn from that part and you move on to greener pastures. So I'm yeah. hoping that, considering you got into Carnegie Mellon, first of all, I'm hoping that things have definitely gotten better since then. Absolutely. I mean, I won't tread on too much of my time at Carnegie, but, you know, almost dropped out of there, too. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard, bro. Like, I thought undergrad was hard. That shit was harder. <laughs> But I had, like, such a supportive system. And um, the program director there, he was really rooting for me. <laughs> and so I think this was, it was also, like, the first time I got, like, a Fulbright scholarship. So I'm like, oh, my God, I don't deserve this. Why me? <laughs> and he's like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> but I believe in you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, um, um. I was exposed to so many different job opportunities. I had the opportunity to, like, travel to Detroit and work with, like, you know, different automotive companies there. I got to work with startups. And I just think getting that exposure on the business side, it really helped shape me for the position I'm in now. I do consulting. And then, shoot, you got that stamp on your head that you went to Carnegie Mellon. I'm telling you, you're like a hot topic when people like see that on your resume. They're like, oh, wow, you know, she must be a genius. (laughs) Little do they know. (laughs) But being in that community, you know, it opened up my network. There's so many more people I've met because of it. And then, you know, I know different people in different industries. And if I'm ever, you know, decide to switch from consulting, I know someone who I can tap into and I can get more involved with. And so I think because of all that, like having that supportive system, I was able to like, you know, take my haters, take this imposter syndrome and kind of throw it out the window, really push myself to um, know that I am deserving of certain opportunities and scholarships and, you know, whatever comes my way. And it just shaped me to be, you know, be more confident in myself. You know, whenever I walk into a room, I hold my head up high. When I give an answer, I I put my back into it. Like I say it with my chest. I mean what I say. And I'm confident in what I, you know, presenting and what I'm sharing. So all of that made me a greater person. (laughs) That is awesome. That is goals. Yes. I do want to ask for the sake of um, maybe some people debating grad school and debating like, does this make me more hireable? Does this make me smarter? Does this make me better at doing my job? Right. On my end, my own job usually says, you know, you can apply to a grad degree. We'll even pay for your grad degree, but that is not a promise that you'll get a promotion or a higher salary or anything, right? And I have a feeling that at least when you're doing stuff internally, it's kind of true, but I do think it opens up more roles to you, meaning with a grad degree, you're not going to get promoted on the spot, but you're you're more applicable to fit in a management position somewhere down the line. And if you go on to a PhD, you're more applicable to put in a research position somewhere down the line. 
but it doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly become this genius that can do everything better. So and for your experience, when you because you actually did go to grad school, do you feel like as hard as it was, the things I learned there are what make me a good employee or look better on a resume? Is it the name? Is it what you learned? Is it the courses? How much of the grad school process improved your career prospects? I think that's a great question. So for me personally, I don't know if grad school helped me particularly out with the current position I'm in because I'm seeing for my position, they want people from a certain degree. And because my degree was engineering management, um, they were seeking people with an MBA specifically. And had I gotten my MBA, I probably would have started when I came into, into the company at a higher position than I did. And so I would be, I would be at a higher position than I am today, right? The other thing is that I encourage a lot of people to do like a cost benefit analysis when doing like grad school, because like certain degrees, like sure, it may be great to pursue it and get it. But as soon as you come out of school, if you haven't worked, you're going to be still considered an entry level, even if you have that degree, right? Because maybe you had an internship, but those three months aren't enough to like hold you up against someone who's considered a quote unquote experienced hire who may have been working for two years while, you know, you were in school getting that master's degree. Um, certain degrees I would like to call out. So like an MBA, right? An MBA is a strictly networking degree, in my opinion. You only go and do it if you want to like build your network and maybe do like management positions or consulting, right? Because all you're really learning there is just like econ and then like strategy. But that's another topic. But um, make sure it actually is going to enhance your career. So if you, you know, somehow get in writing from your employer that if I, you know, I'm going to spend these two years getting this degree, when I come back to my position, you know, better salary, new position title, because all of that, like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's always great to, you know, enrich your knowledge. It may not be worth the payoff at the end if you're still, you know, in the same position. If you can't leverage your degree to enhance your pay and enhance your title, I would say really think strongly about it before pursuing it. The reason I did grad school is because I was getting rejected left and right. And so I don't want to go back home and my mom be like, you ain't got no job. What you doing here? So I definitely think people should weigh it out unless you can get it for free. If you can get your degree for free, do it. Like who cares about coming in as an entry? You know, if you can get a free degree, that's going to like put you at a higher bracket or put you in a new, uh, new network bubble that you may not have had. If you only had your undergraduate degree, do it by all means. You've been talking about how you've been feeling throughout the entire process, but is there anything you want to add to the why behind your continuing education horror story um i think why and why i'm continuing to like put put myself through that same trauma and stress right um because i'm passionate i think the thing is i want to help people and i feel like i'm not going to be satisfied until you know i reach that goal i also think that what's been the biggest push for me like I start off you know saying I had like this tenacity to do things where people doubt me because <laughs> I like to you know prove people wrong and I think that's a big driver and like me pushing through all of it at the end I think the haters are the motivators but you know they can all speak crush you a little bit but I think just having <laughs> that strong passion and then just like having some sort of fuel I think that's what's what pushed me and for me that fuel is just like people doubting me and are you sure if this is right for you and then having my network, that networking community of like friends and just like supported, that made such a huge difference. Let's talk about what we've learned from our continuing education horror stories. 
Do you oh. want to start or should I? No, you can go ahead. I've been just jabbing the whole time. <laughs> um, honestly, one of my motivators, like I said, was feeling like I just didn't know enough. Like I constantly have this moment of like, you're learning and learning and learning, but it takes so long to be good. And I think part of it is just accepting that that's normal. When you think about, am I doing good at my job? Do I belong here? I think the real question you need to ask yourself is, am I trying to be better every day? Am I trying to learn more? Am I trying to be better? Am I trying to listen to the feedback I'm getting from other people and use it to improve? And if the answer is yes, nine out of 10 times, you belong there. It's only natural that when you spent 18 years of your life being told what to do through high school, four years of your life having a little bit of freedom, but a lot of psychological assault at the same time in college, going into a job for only the first couple years of your career, you're going to have a lot to learn. And you're going to come to those moments where you think, okay, I finally have a decent idea. And then something new comes along because your career is about growth. And all of a sudden, you're back to square one of like, I don't even know where to begin with this new thing I'm starting. So in terms of do I need a degree, I don't think imposter syndrome should drive getting another degree. I think like you said, it should be do a cost benefit analysis. How is this degree going to help and how much is it going to cost? Oh my gosh, I absolutely love that. And that's the first time I actually heard of like, what do you call it? Like psychological assault. Yes. <laughs> that was so, um, like accurate. <laughs> I love I that. Just, college wasn't all bad. There were very enjoyable parts of my degree. But, and I think we all have this. There's this one person at work, or in my case, this one or two professors, or this one friend who really can just ruin your day. But the person at work, if you're not in the same department, maybe you can avoid them. The one friend, you can cut them off or you can only hang out with them so many times or whatever. But the one professor, you have to see them Tuesday and Thursday every day for months. And as much as you want to say and as much as you and all your friends might think they're terrible, they're abusive, they're not actually good at teaching, I really do not understand why they're still allowed to teach. Maybe they were good back in the day, but at this point they're just... I don't know, getting a paycheck and enjoying terrorizing students. None of that matters. They're tenured. So. Right. Um, I'm like, I don't want to put down my school. But like, there's definitely some dark moments. And I think every, every college student has at least one or two dark moments, even if it's one professor or just one class that really messes them up. I think we all have one. Oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> um. The biggest learnings, I mentioned it before, but don't you ever pay for higher education? Like, absolutely not, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a person of color. There's no, we're not accepting that on this side of town. No wham. Be confident. Fake it till you make it is like a really, it's like, that's my mantra. And I, to this day, you know, I can't say like I'm 100%, you know, confident when it comes to like presenting my analysis or like working and things like that. But because I went through all of that, like I've had to fake being, you know, confident, quote unquote, in order to get like this respectability or just getting like this assurance from others who may have been on my team that, you know, I know what I'm talking about. You start to believe it. And so being confident in how you go about your day to day life, it just comes naturally now for me. And I think another like big lesson learned was that 
you will fall down, you know, it's very cliche, but you'll fall down a thousand and one times, but you will always like get back up. You never will stay down. Um, and don't let any outside source try to tell you otherwise. And then I think just to, just to like tap on something you said, I think the saying is like, be a jack of all trades and a master of none. I think everyone is always continually learning. So you don't have to be like this master of like chemical engineering or master of, you know, physics and humanities, but know enough, like, you know, to hold a conversation, you're knowledgeable about the topic and you can always expand upon that knowledge. So being receptive to learning new information, always stay curious, always stay like receptive to new, you learn new things. It's okay to be a jack of all trades in a knowledge context. Definitely. Another thing that I thought of was you were talking about, you know, applying to all these great schools in Stanford, MIT, Yale, Ivy League, all of that. But actually, I do need to let people know, as much as I say my school is a good school, my school is not in the top 10 of very many <laughs> things. I'm going to say it's in the top 10 of diversity, and, and I'm pretty sure it's like um, very high on social mobility. And that is, I think, what you need to focus on especially if like me you were just straight broke when you were an undergrad like if you are going to do a grad school yes a big name school can help you a lot those connections the influence the power of the name the fact that big companies just recruit at that school to begin with does have an effect but if you can't get in because they are trying to make you pay money or maybe your grades weren't quite good that's okay my school, is, like I said, it's not in the top 10 of very many things, but it at least has a reputation that the students who do graduate from that school are capable of doing their job. And so I've gotten into the same job as people who went to way fancier schools than me. And I'm getting paid the same damn amount. I'm getting promoted at the same rate. So when you look at these grad schools, even if you're not going to get into some big fancy one, look at what percentage of their people, what percentage of their graduates are hired in within five years of graduating mm -hmm. and what the average salary of a graduate is and what companies come to their career fair. Because when you look at what companies come to their career fair, that's not just a sign of like, oh, are their students good or not? That's a sign of the college's outreach to those companies. I've learned that recently because I'm trying to get companies to reach out to my alma mater more. Like, you can have a pretty good school or things that a company's looking for, but that doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to maintain that relationship. And that's on your faculty. That's not on you. Yeah. Um, so when you see who's coming to their career fair, that's a sign of like, are they putting the effort in to represent themselves as a place that produces good employees or good researchers, good PhDs, what have you? Or are they not doing so? And that's another way to say you know, I'm choosing between a couple schools, which one's going to be the right one for me. Oh my gosh. I love that. That is such a good point. And like, just to piggyback, like also what you're saying, don't just look at these schools for the names. Like you said, assess how their faculty is like helping their students get to these jobs. And then like, just a pro tip from what I've learned, I feel like the acceptance rate for grad schools is a little bit, uh, what's the word? The acceptance rate is a little bit higher than it is for undergrad. Um, and I say that because for graduate school, there's not as many people applying. Um, the diversity pool is limited to none. So if you are someone from a diverse background, that is something that goes into your favor. And then they're more willing to help fund like your degree. 
I feel like it is easier to get to like these bigger name schools for a graduate degree rather than an undergrad. So that's just something to really take into consideration. Like, yeah, having, you know, four year experience, like living in the dorm is fabulous, whatever. But if you're getting the same quality education, save your coin, okay? State schools, state schools are just as well qualified as long as they're, you know, accredited institutions. You know, that's what matters. And just take that into consideration. Yeah, when you're applying to grad school, definitely apply to the big names, but also maybe save for grad school. Have that stamp on your forehead. Show it as your progression, your glow up. (laughs) I will add one last thing, which is be wary or just make sure you have the right mentality before you pursue a 100% online degree. Because first of all, pick a proper accredited, like legit online degree. Don't be going to, I'm not going to name no names, but like there's some people. And two, when you're doing an online degree, that means you don't necessarily, you're not going to have a routine. It's not like I need to get up at 8 a.m. to arrive for my nine o'clock class. I'm going to be sitting in this room, so I may as well pay attention. And then since I'm already at the school, I may as well go to the library and study with some of the other students and whatever. You're not going to have that when you're doing an online degree. So you're going to have to be the person who says, I'm going to wake up, open my laptop, not fall asleep during class. And when it's closed, even though I'm right by my bed or right by the kitchen, I'm not going to eat food or go back to bed. I'm going to study and I'm going to do my assignments because that's something that scared me a lot when I was considering grad school the first time, just straight up can I maintain this routine that I've never really had to do before? Even working from home for a bit during COVID, I struggled a lot with just like staying focused when all of these distracting things are around you, like your bed, your TV, your fridge or whatever that aren't normally around you. And you're just staring at a screen all day with no human interaction. Mm-hmm. So um, it doesn't mean it's impossible. Tons of people get online degrees and do very well with them. I'm just saying, look within yourself and make sure it's right for you. That's the truth. Yes, the self-discipline is needed. So huge, like, shout out and kudos to anyone who does, like, an online degree. All right. Do you have anything, any pages, social media, what have you, maybe a charity that you'd like to advertise? No social media, but, like, and it's not really a charity, but it's an organization it's called NSBE, it's the National Society for Black Engineers, and you don't have to be an engineer to be in the program, but they offer like really good academic programs for even pre-collegiate um, initiatives for, you know, students interested in going to school. And they're just trying to increase the number of, you know, black, Hispanic, brown, every, you know, women, especially in STEM. Um, and we're trying to just, you know, bring more awareness at an earlier age of the opportunities that's available with STEM. So I encourage everyone to like go look on to the nesby.org website, look at your local PCI or even collegiate chapter and see if you can make a donation to the local chapters. I'll add on to that. I got my first job at a Nesby conference, actually. Hey. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're definitely advocating for us. I mean, I go hard for Nesby. I was like on the e-board for three years, so <laughs> I don't want to nerd out about it too much. <laughs> oh, I would get. I was gonna say, do you want to talk a little bit? So, fun fact: one of my the people I went to school with actually interned at my job through the Gem Fellowship. 
Oh, where nice. so he was doing it through Cornell. So if you want to talk about Jem a little more, you can help people out that way too. Absolutely. So Jem, which is like spelled G-E-M, it's the National Gym Consortium. They are a foundation where their goal is just basically to enhance the number of basically underrepresented groups um, at the master's and doctorate level degrees in STEM. And so what they do, they work with all of these universities and kind of like the middleman. They're like, hey, we have this pool of exceptional, you know, students um, who, you know, are from under, you know, served communities or underrepresented groups and they're applying to your university. Select from them, you know, because unfortunately a lot of these universities have quotas they have to meet. <laughs> That's another topic. Um, <laughs> so That's our next horror them. story, the quota yeah. system. Oh, uh, Okay, but they're trying to bring, you know, what's the word? A lot of these, you know, applicants otherwise would get overlooked, but with Jim, they're kind of trying to bring them to the forefront. So they're actually like the middleman in a sense to kind of bridge the um, connection between the student and the potential university. They work with the university to get you full funding, whether it be just for your tuition or it be for everything, including like your housing, your books and tuition. So there's different levels of this fellowship program. And it's a really good opportunity, especially if you want to do a master's degree, even if you want to do like a PhD, they help sponsor your research grants, research proposals and internships as well. So it's a really great program. You can also donate to them as well. Um, it's gemfellowship.org. And, you know, check it out. Awesome. That said, this has been Adulting Horror Stories with your one and only host, Dion. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you in the next one. State schools, city schools are just as well qualified as long as they're, you know, AB, what is it, EBT? Not EBT. <laughs> they're accredited institutions. You know, that's what matters. And ABET, take- ABET, ABET accredited. ABET. Thank you. <laughs> it took me a second too. <laughs> ABET accreditation. <laughs>